join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. The general concept is that creativity flourishes in a in an atmosphere of freedom. You are listening to the first station on your dot. WCNW operating on a frequency of fifteen hundred kilocycles in Brooklyn, New York. Alright folks, welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers Podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers and I'm excited to have my guest Jack Swerzy here today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well thank you Albert. Uh, you know I've been a big fan of your artwork for ever since I've known you, which has probably been five or six years anyway. Yeah. And uh, I'm honored to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited. It was a long time coming. I'm glad we, we got it together. Yeah, I know. I kept having to cancel at the last minute. I'm sorry about that. No, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, and in fact, I was surprised you asked me back because, you know, I mean, three or four times we went through this. Oh, you so. know, I'm, it doesn't, cancellations, because it comes up. It happens. Okay, so well, it doesn't. Well, I got to go now. I'll see you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't phase me too much. Right. And I've been wanting to talk to you about your work and everything for, okay, for a thanks. while now. So here Good we deal. are. So you just had um, an art show. Um, with, so was it newer work or was it, I remember it was more of a collective. It was a retrospective okay. and which in a way it's kind of silly because I've only been do, involved in the art world for about seven or eight years. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I do create stuff, I create stuff and, and I get stuck in different series. I do different series. I, I had my shadow series. Uh, my whimsical series, political series, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I forget what I was about to say. What the heck were you saying? Their collective show. Oh, yeah. So, uh, what I did, <laughs> a retrospective. Uh, so, I showed a little bit of everything that I've done. In fact, I had over 80 pieces in the oh, show. Nice. So, and it covered all the different phases of my uh, little career. Okay. And what kind of art do you mainly do for the folks at home? Well, I call myself a photo artist. I'm not a photographer in the sense of I know nothing about my camera. I just create scenes, shoot the scenes, edit, and come up with work that could be profound. It could be political. It could be just whimsical. It could be funny. So that's where I'm at with what I do. Okay. What, what's been your most recent series? My recent series, uh, it's so hard to explain uh, without people being able to see, but it was called The Secret Lives of Corkscrews. Okay. And yeah, I have to explain, the, you know the kind of corkscrews where it looks like they have arms yes. and the head can spin around? Mm-hmm. Well, I created a whole secret world for mm-hmm. them. Okay. And everything involved them being in different situations. Okay. And there was a lot of, it was kind of comical, much of it, and Mm -hmm. uh, it went over very well. In fact, that was probably my most successful series in terms of uh, selling work. Okay, cool. And so, how do you go about, it's a photography, so how do you go about creating that scene? the from, the, from from your idea to hanging in the gallery wall. Okay. Uh, obviously, everything you see in my work is photographed. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, nowadays, with the uh, editing programs that are out there, you can isolate the background of different photos and use what you have left to place anywhere. And right. in fact, I've come to the conclusion a lot of what I'm doing is sort of photo collage because okay. I'm shooting the individual pieces, putting them together, creating a scene. Gotcha. And do you, how often do you um, aim for comedy? Now, obviously, you do political, which is different, and we'll yeah. get to that. Well, even the political had comedy in it, but okay. uh, that was easy in the four years that I did it. Uh -huh. uh, uh, what was your question? Your comedy in your in your work, yeah, humor oh, in your work. Well, you know, well, I, as you know, oh, is that my phone? It I'm sorry. Be. That's okay. Yeah, uh, let me turn it off. Here. <laughs> oh, good. It's funny. Nobody ever calls me, and now they do. Got that. That okay. was my drug dealer. Sorry. Okay. Uh, no, that's, he's welcome to come over too. <laughs> uh, where were we? Uh, humor in your own. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I spent 35 years as a stand-up comic. I did a comedy and juggling show. Okay. So comedy has always been... I mean, if you go before that, in high school, I was the class clown. Mm -hmm. So there's always humor emanating from me. And uh, a lot of that has gone into the work that I create. Okay. How often does an audience for your art pick up on the humor? Well, quite often, I would imagine. I mean, a lot of my work you do have to look at and, yeah. and really study and see what's in there. A lot of things you won't just see at first glance. Uh, but, you know, I got a lot, of, a lot of comments from people about how my past comedy life has morphed into my, mm -hmm. you know, uh, art life. Okay. You know, it's funny. Trump made it so easy to create the art that I mm. created. Uh, a good example would be uh, years ago when he told the press that he was the chosen one. Okay. So when he said that, what do I think? Right. And I actually created it. I made a cross uh -huh. and I took the Trump troll doll that I had. And I put him on a cross, the chosen one. Mm -hmm. So a little humor there, yeah. but also very poignant because the guy thinks he's, you know, he's the chosen one. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of the stuff I did, uh, the, the, the love he had for Putin and uh -huh. for uh, that clown over in North Korea, uh, that was easy also. I have right. one where Trump is looking in the mirror and he sees uh, Putin. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could easily do that with with Hitler. You could do it with, you know, any uh, dictator around the country, mm -hmm. around the world. Excuse me. Gotcha. Come and eat at Alberta's Pizzeria, the only place for authentic Italian Jewish cuisine, home of the only Grandma Yetta pie, the best kosher pie this side of the wedding wall. Plus, we cater. Birthdays, sweet sixteen, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, baptisms for the goys, and we offer free sausage topping for any bris. Alberta's Pizzeria, pizza you'll want to eat everywhere. So with your stand-up, um, I have never had enough comedians on this show. Uh huh. 
I think I've been inspired more by stand-up comedy in my own artwork than anything else. Right. I've done a bunch of stand-up comedian portraits. Uh-huh. Um, and in general, I think it's the hardest art form. Yeah, but you know what I've always said to that when people say it's the hardest thing you could possibly do? For those who do it, there's something within themselves that makes it easy right. for them to do, whether it be a, a need for attention, which... God knows I'm starved for attention. Uh, or, you know, just be in the, the center of attention. And, mm. you know, there, there, there's a certain power to that. When you're up on stage and you've got an audience in the palm of your hands, that's probably, in my case, it was the only time in my life that I felt totally in control. Mm. You know, you control that. I did a show once for 10,000 people. It was at an arena in, in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, called the okay. Centrum Arena. And I was working with it, and, and most of your listeners are not going to know who Perry Como is. Okay. He was a crooner, a right. singer, on the level of uh, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, okay, in his day. And this goes back to the early 1990s. And uh, I was doing the show for 10,000 people who came to this arena. And it was set up, the stage was in the middle. So I was in complete control. I, uh -huh. I did a, a flawless show. Uh -huh. And the feeling I had when I was up there of power and just satisfaction. When I got off stage, I was damn near in tears emotionally right. just from, holy crap, what did I just do? Right. You know, so there's that. So how old was Perry Como at that point? How old? He was... Uh, Probably 78. I think when I started okay. touring with him, he was 77 or 78. Nice. And then uh, he, we, I did three years with him. And then he passed, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, okay. Yeah. So what was... See, I know Perry Como well. Right. Um, what was he like to tour around well, with? Well, he was the greatest guy in the world. That's I mean, cool. And most people who know who he is have heard of his reputation as a, a, a great guy. Right. And there's, there's nothing about that that's untrue. He was probably the single nicest man that I have ever worked that's with. Cool. And generous to a fault. And uh, yeah, there's nothing bad I could ever say about him. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, another person I should mention, which is yeah. of interest, and you probably know the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. Now, yeah. I toured with them, too. I, I did my first show with them in the mid-1990s at the State Theater down in Easton. And okay. then they asked me to do a tour with them, a six-city tour in Florida. And okay. I got to know them real well. And once again, great people. Most people I've worked with, hmm. most big stars, and I've done a lot of concerts with big stars, are just the, the nicest people. They're, they're people who are just as concerned about their careers as I am about mine. Right. You know, and the ego doesn't get in their way. There have been a few clowns along the way that, you know, were not fun to work with, but most of them were just great. Gotcha. So, what well, we'll go back, because this is right in my alley, but yeah. how, how'd you get started? <laughs> Let's start with that cliche question of how you got started. Okay, uh... I had actually a real job once. I was in retail management uh, back in the uh, 70s, okay. 1974 to 78, and I was miserable. And uh, I quit that, and I went back to college for a couple of years just because I didn't want to jump around from job to job trying to, quote-unquote, find myself. Yeah. Uh, and during that time, I got involved in community theater because it's something I always kind of had a, an interest in doing. Yeah. And I realized as an actor, I didn't feel like I was that good. And I, I didn't see where that could bring me 
any kind of success. Uh, but in the early 1970s, the comedy industry was building. Mm-hmm. That's when all the comedy clubs you see in every little town yeah. was just developing. And at that point, I had seen somebody who did a similar kind of comedy and juggling show that I wound up doing. And he blew me away, and it, I realized then that that's something I wanted to do. So I built my own show. And from there, I, you know, I was able to, the first year I did this, I was able to make a living play into all these little clubs around the southeast because I started in Atlanta, you know, making four or five hundred dollars a week, which mm-hmm. at that time was, you know, pretty decent. Okay. So uh, that's how I got started. And then in 19, uh, what was it, 1983, I decided it was time to leave Atlanta and come back up north, mm-hmm. uh, play the clubs in New York City like Catch a Rising Star, uh, the comic strip, Dangerfields, all these places. You know, the showcase clubs. They yeah. don't pay much money, but you, you can get people to come and see you, and a lot of people have had a lot of success doing that. Mm-hmm. So I did that in 83. I moved back up north, and uh, I was living on Long Island for a short time okay. then, and I hated living there. And I was finding I was doing a lot of work here in the Poconos. Back in the uh, 80s, there were dozens and dozens of resorts. And I would do 120 dates a year up here, you know, mostly midweek. And then on the weekend, I'd go out and play the comedy clubs. I mean, it was a a lot of work to be had back in that day. So then I moved up here and I started to play all the resorts. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I started getting this opening act work, which is what I really, really enjoyed doing, and I pushed that. And I mean, I I worked with probably over 100 major stars Mm. in concert. And uh, of course now, my resume looks like the obituaries. (laughs) You know, many of them are gone or at Uh least retired. Uh, in fact, and this is kind of crazy, I have my old resume up on the wall, and when oh, one of them cool. passes away, I yellow them oh, out. Oh, that's funny. But there's way too much yellow on right. there. You know, and, and it's sad, because that just means if you work with me, you wind up dying, and that's not good. So, <laughs> Especially not in comedy. That's right. <laughs> I killed. Right. Um, were there any comedians who specifically inspired you or influenced you well, it in just, the 70s? The, the one young, young comedy juggler I saw, he's the guy. Okay. He's what the was guy. his name? Michael Marlin, okay, and uh, he's not doing his show anymore, but uh, he's gotten into so many other things. But he was somebody that, at the beginning, and most comics, when they start doing their show, they're emulating somebody. Mm-hmm. You could call it stealing. You could call it emulating. It's a little of both. Right. And I can remember when he, I was, I was basically taking his ideas and trying to make it mine. And in the beginning, it really looked like I was trying to copy him. And I remember how intimidated I would be when he happened to be in Atlanta, because he was touring by then. He was okay. really up there. He was, uh, he'd be in Atlanta, and he stopped in a comedy club where I was playing. And I was up there feeling like, oh, God, this guy's going to hate me, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, I've talked to him since, actually. Recently, I connected with him on Facebook. And... Uh, you know, I let him know that he's the reason I had a 35-year career. You know, I saw him at a club one night in Atlanta, and he blew me away. And I said, I want to do this. Yeah. And I did. And it really touched him that I would say that. And after all these years, me thinking, you know, that I was just a... Well, in the beginning, I thought I was a cheap imitation of him. But mm-hmm. I always kind of had that, yeah, I wonder if he thinks I was stealing his act kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah. you know, we all know in the business, in show business... 
that that's the way it goes at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody gets up there and is automatically an original. You, you, there's something right. that you you you, you latch on to, gotcha. and then you become yourself the more you do it. Yeah, you find your voice. Yeah. Can you explain? Can you tell me a little bit about your act? Well, I combine comedy with juggling. Okay. Okay. So the, I I would open my show with about ten minutes of just stand up, little one liners, mm-hmm. uh, and then I would pick up stuff, start juggling, but I was always talking while I was juggling. And, uh, you know, all the things I was saying in most cases had a lot to do with what I was manipulating. Mm-hmm. And I did, you know, I mean, obviously I did the juggle balls, I juggled machetes, okay. I juggled things that were on fire, I, I ate fire, you know, which was good because I never had to trim my mustache. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and I, and I did... I don't know if you know what a devil stick is, but it's a stick that jugglers hit back and forth with two other sticks. Okay. You know, you spin it around and, you know, and the cigar boxes. You ever see the cigar boxes that jugglers do? No. Uh, well, you, if you Google it any, out there, you can you can okay. see what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, incidentally, if you ever Google me on YouTube, I got all my old videos okay, on Okay, that was going to be a, a question of mine. Yeah, okay, and, and they're, cool. they're fun. And a lot of my old, the TV spots I did, I, I you know, I never reached the top of the business. Uh, but I did make a nice living somewhere in the middle, right. and I did get some TV breaks in the 1990s on the Nashville Network, which was TNN, which no right. longer exists. Yeah, I Obviously, I started doing all the shows on there, and then they went south, and that okay. was it. So, you know, my opportunity to go further with them. Right, another you know, yellow was, line. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, so I have all the videos from that on there. And, 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 you know, I was at the peak of my career in the 90s. That's when it was really happening for me. You know, I was making good money. I was being seen. Uh, you know, and then uh, it's downhill from there. Now I'm okay. an artist. Okay. <laughs> what were some some other big names that you may have crossed paths with? That uh, well, I worked with the Beach Boys. Uh, I mentioned the Smothers Brothers. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Okay. You know, he was fun. Uh you know, I worked with Milton Berle, you know, wow. of all people. I mean, yeah. I, caught, I caught a lot of these uh, big names at the tail end of their career. Right. They were no longer on top of the business, but they were still able to fit, to fill 3,000 to 5,000 seat mm-hmm. venues. Right. You know, uh, Rosemary Clooney is another one, uh, Andy Williams, uh, just a lot of classic old names. I mean, I, I should have brought my resume. I could have no, run them all, you know. So did you, with some of these names that you're saying, I, I can't help but ask, did you work up in the Catskills at all? I did do the Catskills, yeah. Okay. In fact, when I first started working the Catskills in the 80s, mm-hmm. I was terrible up there. Okay. You know, I mean, they were just old, tired, miserable human beings in the audience. Okay. And I still was trying to be too hip, and it didn't work. As I got older and played the Catskills, I, I was more on their, you know, playing field, and uh, mm-hmm. I could relate to them. And I actually found them to be really good as I got older. But in the early years, man, I hated it. I was terrible yeah. there, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. A lot of the young comics who were sent up there, just, it didn't happen. Because, you know, we were used to work in the clubs, and you were, you're were hip. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, you're up, you know, for a bunch of tired old people who go to the Catskills. So. Yeah. But like like the Poconos, there are no resorts left there anymore either, you know. No. Not to speak of. No, they just, I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, I dug through the old Penn Hills <laughs> before they, before they like leveled it. Now yeah. It's, yeah. Well, now, 
it looks better than it did when it was up. <laughs> I, yeah. I worked Penn Hill. That's the first gig I did up here. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they hired me, and that was in like 84, I think, 1984. Okay. And... Uh, the resorts were falling apart even then. I can remember coming up here, and it was sort of, to me, that was the beginning of the end of the Pocono resorts. Okay. You know, a lot of these mom-and-pop uh, businesses were never putting money back in to their businesses, and, and the facilities were just run down and mm. tired-looking, and they weren't keeping up with things. And, you know, you could just see over the years, you know, especially through the 90s, that just less and less people and a different kind of person. It's almost like they were, and this doesn't, I hope it doesn't sound snobbish, but scraping the bottom of the social barrel okay. to get people to come up here. Okay. And they were tough crowds, man. They were, they were nasty. They were rude. You know, so it really got to be less fun to work up here. Okay. Gotcha. So when you were when you were working up here, were you living up here yet, or were you still? Yeah, I, I I mean when I first started working up here, I wasn't. But then I, I met the woman who I did wind up marrying, Jill, uh -huh. and uh, I had a good uh, buddy who I was hanging out with up here. So you know, after a few months in this basement apartment on Long Island, I decided I would move up here. So somewhere around eighty four, eighty five, I moved up here. I lived okay. in Delaware Water Gap at the Water Gap Village Apartments. Okay. And uh, then in 87, I bought a house out in Scott Run. Okay. So. From, um, from your beginnings, and I guess it's 35 years to choose from, what are some standout shows for you? Well, obviously, like I mentioned, that show where I played for 10,000 people, yeah. but you want to hear the worst? Okay. The worst Let's that go the, for people it. love to hear when comics yeah. die. <laughs> I was hired to work at Estes Arena at uh, the Taj Mahal, which was owned by Trump okay. uh, back then. And I was hired to open for uh, <coughs> Tim McGraw. Wrong pipe. Sorry. Okay. And, <coughs> you okay? Yeah. Good. Uh, uh, Tim McGraw, country artist. Okay. It was a lot, there were a lot of people. It was, it was in another arena. And for some reason, they thought it smart to put me on as people were being seated, okay. which was terrible from the start. Right. And it just seemed like the audience was filled with a bunch of drunken cowboys. Okay. And you stuck, F you, you know, uh -huh. get off the stage. I mean, just classic horror. Uh -huh. And I had to do a half an hour or 25 minutes or something like that. And, you know, when you get in a situation like that, you just kind of put it in automatic and you try to ignore it and just try to get through your act. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And it was the most horrible experience I've ever had. And worse than that, I had to come back the next day mm -hmm. and do another show for the same artist, you know. Right. And it was just as bad the second day, although at least I knew what to expect. Right. But Tim McGraw was a gentleman. He was a great guy. I mean, he told me, you know, great show, great show. But he was either lying or maybe I did better than other opening acts. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> right. But it was a nightmare. And what, what kind of place was this? What kind of place? Like, was it at a... Like more of a it was an arena, arena? Okay. it was an arena set up you know with the stage right. uh, this stage was uh, it wasn't in the middle like i did with the perry como thing but you know just a huge room yeah wow okay yeah it doesn't seem like a comedy act would be the best opening act for tim mcgraw no well it, it wasn't that night yeah. right. <laughs> but that's something i'll always remember you know i mean it was uh 
It was the worst, the single worst time I've had on stage. That's rough. Yeah. It's so much easier being an artist. Yeah, (laughs) sometimes. Because if people hate your work, they're not going to yell at you. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's, you're either going to get stabbed in the front or stabbed in the back. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Right. Well, that's true. Um, So when you you first started with your act, at what Mm -hmm. point did you feel that, okay, this is what I'm doing for a while. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, fairly, fairly quick. Okay. Because like I said, you know, I started at the right time because there was just work all over the place. Right. You know, in the late 70s, everybody was opening up a comedy club or just doing comedy one night a week in their restaurant or something mm-hmm. like that. So there was never a shortage of work. Okay. And then do you still do any comedy now? No, I'm not funny anymore. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Sure. I, I don't. I have no. You never desire. lose. You never lose funny. Yeah, I mean, I can still be funny, but but I. It's been actually in May. It'll be ten years since I did my last show. Okay. And uh, the last show was at the Kirby Center in Wilkesbury. I opened okay. for. Uh, name I, it escapes me at the moment, but uh, you know that was the last time. Uh, ten years. It's, it's. I haven't been funny. Okay. So you can get as deep into it as you want. What made you decide to stop? Well, as I've mentioned, the work I loved doing was opening for all these big stars. And I was getting a lot of that work. I was getting a reputation for being a strong opening act. But because of the age that I was suited to work for of the the headliners, they were either dying or uh, retiring. And I was getting less and less of that kind of work. And I had a choice to make. Do I want to go back and do the clubs? Do I want to go back and do the resorts? Or should I quit while I'm at the top of my game, which wasn't a huge top. I don't want to make it sound like I was huge. But, you know, I think that was as far as I was going to go at that point. You know, I mean, I had done the TV. It wasn't going to happen anymore. You know, so at that point, I said, you know what? At this point, I think I'm going to stop doing this. And I did. And then a couple years later, Jill said to me, my wife, she said, "Uh, you know, you really need to do something. Why don't you get a camera? And that's when I bought my camera and started playing around with it. Okay. Um, well, you definitely made it a lot further than most. And In the that, show business? Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very admirable, just to, to stick it out like that. Yeah, well, like I said, I made a good living, you know, for all those years. Uh, never, never reached the kind of stardom most comics set out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I, you know, I used to... I used to work with Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. Okay. When I lived on Long Island for that short time in 83 when I moved up here, she used to meet me at my little basement apartment and we'd drive to these crappy little $50 gigs in Connecticut or uh, New Jersey mm-hmm. or Long Island, New York. And uh, she would always used to say that she was going to be a star someday. She didn't care if Letterman put her on the show now or if, if Carson put her on his show. Mm-hmm. She was going to go when she was a star. She knew it, mm. and and she became a star. And I always have thought some people were meant to rise to the top of the business. Other people were meant to do what I did, and and there are people that did less. Right. You know, so you know you put it in perspective at some point, and and that's where it's at. You know, we we can't all be stars. Right. Uh, we can all want to be stars, mm-hmm. but that's not the way it's it goes. I got you. Yeah. So you picked up your camera, and um, 
So how long have you been doing that again? About seven or eight years now. Okay. Yeah. What, um, what progress have you noticed? What have you learned? What do you like the most about it? The, the feeling of creating something new and different. Okay. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm right now at a creative standstill. I'm not sure where I'm going to go with, with the work. I've always, you know, found new series to work on, new niches. Uh, and I'm, having, I'm struggling right now. I don't know where I'm going to go with this. And then sometimes I say, well, let me go back and take some of the older work and work on that or try okay. to go in that direction again. But I hate going back to what I've always done. If I've done it, I've done it. Right. Like people say, oh, you should go back to your political art. Well, I don't want to. I've done it, you know. Right. Uh, not to mention I lost a lot of friends on Facebook and, you know, because of my political outlook. Right. But aside from that, I just don't like going backwards. I, you know, I look at the old work and I go, yeah, I could do something like that. But then I get no satisfaction out of it because it's not something new. Mm. So I'm always looking for something new, right. which I'm not finding right now. But I mean, you as an artist, you know yourself that you go yeah. through these periods of time where you just kind of stop. Yeah. Although you, you, looking at your work, I don't, I don't know that that happens much because you're always well, creating great stuff. I so. appreciate that. I've I'll tell you, just this past early January, I was a little stuck. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing you're saying. I had a, a moment once, one of my shows at Gamma, yeah. where I happened to be alone in the particular room right. with my work. And I was just looking at all the pieces and for whatever reason, I was like, these are all exactly the same to me. Yeah. I'm doing the exact same thing. And the moment when I talk to somebody about my work and maybe you've experienced this, where they'll say, oh, Albert is this guy. He's, the, you know, I remember to, for an example, oh, he's the jazz guy. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, well, I'm not doing painting any jazz for a while. Because <laughs> yeah. I never wanted to be like, we, like he's this one. Right. He's this, he paints the jazz. He yeah. paints this, he always does this. Like I have to keep mixing it up. Right, right. And, and when I, you and do that, that you keeps learn. you fresh and it keeps people interested in your work. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, not to knock anybody else, but if you do the same thing over and over again, it gets tiring. Right. To anybody. And people lose interest in it. Right, them right. Because they know what to expect. Yeah. So I we, this morning I was um, looking at one of your pages and I seen your, you posted up a horse piece. Yeah, I just did and that. That was, that was a fun one. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's part of my struggle. I mean, I, 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 I go up in my office and, uh, right. <laughs> and, and I look around, what can I do? And then, you know, I have this huge game piece collection, you know, the little pawns you move around okay. the board. Yeah. I have thousands of them. And I picked a few of them out, and I, I started shooting them, and then I edited them out, and I, you know, able to place them here and there, and I created this thing. Now, you know, I felt good that I did something a little different, even though it's too simple. It's too, it's not, it's not saying anything. It's mm -hmm. just a visually nice-looking image, right. and that, that doesn't do it for me. You know, I could be doing that, and I probably will still try, but I need something more. You know what I've been getting into a lot lately, which I don't know if you've noticed or not? Are you familiar with the Drost effect? The Drost effect yeah. is where there's a picture within a picture within a picture within a okay. picture. In other words, if I'm standing there and I take a picture of myself holding a frame, uh -huh. in that frame is going to be the same picture you're looking at. And in that frame... Okay, gotcha. the Drost effect, D-R-O-S-T-E. Okay. I've been really working on that. And a lot of the work I've done recently with the corkscrew series mm -hmm. and with other things 
have utilized that technique. And I find that fascinating. Now, even that's getting a little old. I'm trying to find different ways of doing it without just somebody holding a frame and the picture gotcha. within a picture. So, you know, I'm playing around with that right now. Okay. Would you ever get into photographing people within your style or within your ideas? You know, it's funny. When I first started out, I thought when I got the camera, I thought I'd do street photography. Okay. You know, which I, th I feel is a little invasive. You have to ask the person, really. Yeah. To you know, I, and I never got into that. But, uh, no, I don't see myself doing that. Okay. It has to be, it has to be something unique to give me the satisfaction I, I need. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well... This was it was great to have you on the show, Jack. Well, thank I'm you. Excited for your projects, and um, before we stop, I want to say on recording because it does mean a lot to me. Yeah, you and your wife, who's a fantastic painter, Jill, have been so supportive of my work, and it does not ever go unnoticed and doesn't go underappreciated. Well, that's very nice because it say. does it does mean a lot to me. Um, thank you, everybody who who reaches out, but you two in particular. Yeah. Always, always make sure to let me know that you like what I'm doing. Oh, that's very that nice of you to say. And and you know we we have an eye for we, we we kind of love watching the younger artists in the area. You know we're both both of us are in our 70s. So okay. uh, you know when we see people in their 30s and 40s doing it, you know I look at it. They're the future of what's going on here in art, and you're one of them. And and so is Courtney Nat, yes. who I'm just a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. And uh, you people are going to grab the art world by the you-know-what and move it forward and people should be watching you guys one thing I gotta say you gotta promote 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 you know I was always good at promotion that's show business right okay business uh -huh. show there's show in this business well the art world is no differently because you know there's a lot of great artists around town right. who nobody's heard of but people have seen your work they've seen Courtney's work because you guys get out there and you talk about yourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's important to do that. You gotta have that business end of it if you're yeah. gonna make waves. Yeah, I'm learning it. Yeah, slow and steady. It's yeah, a well, big, just keep keep talking about yourself. And, you know, I I sit around going, gee, people are probably seeing, oh, J Jack's doing another post on his upcoming show. Well, if they want to roll their eyes, fine. Yeah, you, you have they know to. about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but keep that in your mind and. You know, I think I think the future of the art world in, in, in Stroudsburg and the Poconos is just great. People like yourselves and Courtney and India. You know India, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can never remember her last I'm, name. I mean, talks with her for coming on the show, too. Oh, good. Yeah, she should. she's great. She, yeah. my, Jill calls her an expressionist. She expresses what's inside of her. And that, to me, she has my respect because, right. you know, it, it's everything she does says something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another fellow, uh, well, Jesse, I think his name is. He's up north. He okay. does the, he, he, he used to have a, a bad drug problem, and he's, you know, cured himself of that. Mm -hmm. But whatever he does is just you can see and feel what they're feeling inside. And that, to me, moves me. Art should move you. Yeah. yeah and that's not to dismiss pretty art, because that moves people in another direction. Yeah. But to me personally... It's it's when people are showing who they are and what they feel and what they think. That to me is the kind of art I like. Exactly. Yeah. And I I find myself like attracted to art that includes that and also something that will go. Oh, I've not seen something like this, and that's where like 
with India and I first really met her mm-hmm. and seen her work just this last show at Gamut. Oh, at the Gamut, right. Like, yeah, I had right, not right. crossed paths with her, mm-hmm. at least, you know, um, even in this small town. I yeah. just haven't crossed paths with her yet, and I've seen it, and it stood out. Yeah. Um, so, that's, and that's the same thing I try to put into it, is mm-hmm. like, okay, how can I not only change what I'm doing, but do something that's a little bit different and find something I'm not going to hate. Yeah. Can I put some emotion and feeling into a piece and make it as simple to the eye, but really complicated on the other hand? Uh-huh. How simple can I make it look? Yeah. But in reality, it's... A lot deeper than it's that. It's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. So I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Well, with each you, piece. You've got it together. Thank you. And yeah, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. And, thank um, you. we'll be in touch about it. Sounds good, Albert. Thank you. And thank you all for joining me around the table again with my guest on this episode, Jack Swerzy. It was fun to finally be able to sit down and talk with Jack. And it's great to finally get another episode out, our first of 2024. I hope you enjoyed it. It's going to be a lot of good ones coming up this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to putting them all out. More homegrown, sitting around the kitchen table podcasting for us. It's exactly the way I want to do it. And um, we've been getting a lot of good feedback about it. It's what we got to do more of. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you could see and hear other episodes on all major podcast platforms or on YouTube with video. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. And until then, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. Goodbye, wimps.